tell you what you're listening to welcome to father simon says on relevant radio with father richard simon i'm here to answer your questions have a question give us a call 1-888-914-9149 that's any question you may have about the lord the faith and the church that's 1-888-914-9149 this is in fact a radio show called father simon says on relevant radio well, hello. Welcome. It's a lovely day where I am, and, well, I should say something like, it's a lovely day wherever any of us are. Nah, not so much. Let's pray. <laughs> oh, the, the voice in my head is telling you about laughter and good red wine. From Is that Hiller Belloc or G.K. Chesterton? It's Belloc. It's Belloc. I think you're right. Well, let's pray, and uh, whichever one it was, Nah, that's true. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit that shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations. By the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Exciting, exciting reading as always. Let's go to the gospel first, because I think uh, that is a, a simpler thing. You know, I have this odd way of describing the kingdom of God. Oh, no, here he goes with the kingdom of God again. Well, yes, I mean, it's a big idea in the Bible. Huge. Well, what is the kingdom of God like? Whenever you see the phrase kingdom of God in Luke, if that passage is quoted in the Gospel of Matthew, it's the kingdom of heaven. And why is that? That is a circumlocution, which means a way of talking around. Jews to this day have such a reverence for the name of God, for the concept of God, that they try not even to say God. Uh, um, if you get a letter from a devout Orthodox Jew, uh, you may see him write the word God, G-D. Now, that is because the name of God, which he revealed to Moses and uh, revealed to the patriarchs, Y-H-W-H, they won't say that out loud. The high priest would say it once a year. He would repeat it. Uh, three times in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But if you go to a synagogue to this day, they will not, when they see in the text YHWH, they will say Adonai. And you get the strange phenomenon of combining the vowels for Adonai with the consonants YHWH. Why is that? Because when they put in the vowel points in the text, the Masoretic text, the authoritative text of the Hebrew Scriptures. 
they were afraid to put in the correct vowel points. Now, what do I mean by vowel points? They believed the text was, this was going to be simple. The gospel was going to be simple. Well, I've complicated it, but I'll continue. If you look at a line of Hebrew, uh, you might see little dots and lines and squiggles underneath and over the text. That's because originally Hebrew had no vowels written. You just knew the vowels. Have you ever wondered what someone who's not an American must think when they come and see EXPWY on a sign, the expwe? What is an expwe? Well, we know it's an expressway. But expwe, is that the street we're supposed to take? Expwe Street? So, you know, that's the way it was in Hebrew. They didn't have vowels. And there came a point when Hebrew was so little spoken after the destruction of, of the temple in Jerusalem by the Romans uh, that at a certain point they decided to put vowels into the text so people would remember how it was pronounced. They came to the word YHWH, and were they going to put the vowels in that were appropriate to that word? No. They put in the vowels for Adonai. A-O-A. Hmm. When you come to that point in the text, you don't say the sacred name. You say Adonai which is what the Jews use in prayer. It means Lord. Uh, this is very significant because uh, when Jesus, uh, when the text says no one can say Jesus is Lord, St. Paul is saying no one can say that Jesus is YHWH. No one can say that Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, except by the Holy Spirit, except by that inspiration. So, that said, if you look at YHWH and you look at the vowels that are written above and below the line, because you don't want to change the sacred text, you don't want to change the relationship of those consonants, but you look at this and, well, you combine those vowels and those consonants and you get Yehovah, and that becomes Jehovah. The word Jehovah didn't exist before the 1200s, so I, I just think that's interesting. But what is he talking about? Well, I will get back to that. What is the kingdom of God like? Luke was not a Jew. He was Greek. And so he didn't worry about saying God. Matthew did worry about it. So he said the kingdom of heaven. And from that, we have come to identify kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven as heaven when you die. Or what the world's going to be like when he comes back. And I maintain that's not what it means. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. Or you can translate it among you. Uh, the kingdom of God has drawn near. When, when uh, you read the text, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. It really is a verb that means to draw near. The kingdom of God is drawn near. In other words, it's not far away. God is not in heaven anymore. He's right here in front of you. What does the word kingdom mean in Greek? A thousand times I've said this, it means royalness. Basilea, a king is a basileus, and basilea is the quality of kingliness. In other words, it's God's royal nature. To what can I compare God's royal nature? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and planted in the garden. And when it's fully grown, it becomes a large bush, and the birds of the sky dwell in its branches. That that idea of becoming a large bush and the uh, the birds of the sky dwelling in, in, in this bush's branches, this is a very ancient idea of an empire, that a king would compare himself or an emperor would compare himself to a great tree, and all the birds nesting in the branches would be the client kingdoms that uh, he took care of uh, really good. <laughs> he... he uh, he took care of them and, and their money and assets. But moving along, 
So to what shall I compare God's royal nature? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with uh, three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch of dough was leavened. You don't see yeast working. You cover it up, and then you come back, and boom, the, there it is, this big lump of dough from what was much smaller. It's an invisible working. I, I've shared with you many times uh, the, the the word tapenos in Greek. When Jesus says, I'm meek and humble of heart, he says tapenos. When the Blessed Mother says he looked on the lowliness of his servant, it's tapenosune. And what it means is undistinguishedness. The kingdom of God, God's royal nature, is something you don't notice right away. You know, uh, uh, the poor the poor man, uh, I remember hearing a story of a great theologian and saint and mystic and scholar and healer um, who uh, uh, somebody came in and looked for this great man, and the doorkeeper was the great man. And he went right by the doorkeeper, where is brother such and such? And uh, tell him, Monsignor Husitz is here. And Brother such and such said, I'll tell him. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, uh, it was it was he. So, you know, the, this idea of God's royal nature is something that is available to and found in people who are unimportant. That's, I think, what this, this these two little mini parables mean. Well, that said, let's go to the first reading, because this is breathtaking. Remember, at least my theory, which I, I beg you to take with a grain of salt on St. Paul's letter to the Romans, that he is talking about how the Greeks and the Jews in the Christian community of Rome can get along. They are both subject to the law. And then he kind of goes on to talk about the sufferings of this present time. And they were suffering. Uh, they were beginning to be persecuted. The, the Neronian persecution had not started, but they were persecuted from the beginning. That Consider that, that there were at least 7 million uh, uh, Hebrews, we would call them Jews, 7 million Jews in, in the Roman Empire. And that means that about 1 out of 10 people in the empire was Jewish. That's a lot of people. There were no more, according to Dr. Rodney Stark, a sociologist whom I often quote, there were no more than than 50,000 Christians at the most by the end of the first century. I'm, I'm, I'm guesstimating, but it's, it's, it's not even 100,000 people. And so a Christian community, say the community in Corinth, would have been a few hundred people at the most. And the pastor and would be the bishop of this, this small uh, gathering of people. And they were constantly being, um, they were constantly being tormented by the people around them. The Greeks, you know, we live in a world where Christians are beginning to be tormented because people are very angry at us because even if we don't talk to them about it, we, they know that we don't approve of certain things like like indiscriminate sex or the killing of children in the womb or or other things like that we live a certain way and we we say that we have this standard um that we don't always live up to but we we believe this standard is right and we're obnoxious to them uh, and then even within the church there are people who who find uh more traditional people just, you know, well, get with it. Abortion is, is you know, morally acceptable or strange living situations, morally acceptable, that sort of thing. And we say, no, 
Uh, well, that was similar to the condition of the ancient world. You see, um, physical intimacy was fairly meaningless to ancient ancient Romans and Greeks. It it was about pleasure. It wasn't necessarily about relationship. Um, that that's something that is, is markedly different than than our culture. We at least still believe, in general, that physical intimacy should have something to do with uh, mutual affection. In the ancient world, <laughs> to quote the, the poet, what's love got to do with it? Uh, nothing. And and Christians said that, that no, that's not that's not the way it is, and they refused to live that way. So they were as hated as the Jews, and they were also hated by their fellow Jews. They considered themselves Israel. I consider the sufferings of the present time as nothing compared to the glory to be revealed in us. Well, they've translated for us, but I, I, I think it can also be translated in us, and I prefer that translation. Let me, let me just uh, pull that up just to make sure I'm not making things up, which, of course, remember my motto, what I don't know I can always make up. Let's see here. All right. I consider that our present sufferings are not okay. Okay, click that button, which makes me an instant scholar. Uh, really, it's interesting. They're not worthy. Um, uh, the, the sufferings of, of, the, of the present age are not worthy, which is an interesting way of saying uh, uh, are not comparable uh, to the... Uh, uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm wrong. It's the glory that's to be revealed for us. Never mind. <laughs> Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Okay, where was I? It, no, this is the translation is better than mine. The glory to be revealed for our sake. A creation awaits with eager expectation the revelation of the children of God. For creation was made subject to futility. And, and I'm going to make that uh, the word of the day. It's a very good one. Not of its own accord, but by the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself would be set free from slavery to corruption. What's go from its slavery to corruption? What's going on? And that it would share in the... Uh, oh, hold on. I, that, that is... I'm right about that one. That's a weird translation. Okay. Romans 8.18. Um... No, that's not it. Okay, where did I put it? Uh, hold on, hold on. Go back. Okay. Um, oh, well. <laughs> I had oh, this, but now I can't find it. And it can't handle I looked it up. Assignment. Darn it. Well, it's at least behaving a little better than it was. Uh, it's not quite the glorious freedom. It, it's the... the, the, the uh, to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I think that's what the text actually says. And that's a little different, uh, uh, that it be set free from its slavery to corruption. And what does it mean, the, 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 the revelation of, of, of the... the, uh, the oh, I, I'm sorry, I have to find it. I, I need... This is important. I pulled it up and somehow it... It disappeared. The glorious freedom. Of, they translate glorious freedom, and I think it's the the freedom of the glory of the children of God. But it's important to get it right. So I'm gonna uh, have some dead air while I find this. Oh, good grief! 
Oh, those those wiggy producers who just do this. All right, I found it. I found it. Okay. Okay, the creation itself will be set free from slavery uh, of decay. Uh, and that's, you know, it's fascinating that St. Paul knew that there was decay in the creation. He didn't know about entropy. You know about entropy? That that if something stops moving, at least in physics, it essentially stops existing. Uh, energy and matter are the same thing. E equals mc squared. And when energy loses, when matter loses all of its energy, it ceases to exist. And that's decay. The world is subject to entropy. It's slowing down and going away. How did St. Paul know that? Well, he knew lots of stuff. But the creation itself will be, uh, will be set free, uh, from the, the slavery of decay. And boy, I feel the slavery of decay every time I get out of bed in the morning. Oh, this aches, that aches, this isn't working right. For the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is the freedom of the glory of the children of God? The word glory is interesting because it comes from the Greek word uh, of uh, uh, for to to seem uh, what evokes good opinion. In other words, to appear. Uh, uh, this is kind of interesting that that the manifestation of who you are is your glory. Saint Paul talks about their shame is their glory, etc. You know that 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 uh, they glory in their shame. I think he says the the freedom of the glory. When we are revealed for who we are, we're free. I said this. Uh, I've said this many times uh, uh, that that um, we are free men and women who live in a world of slaves. People think that they're free because they can do whatever they want. They are addicts. They are slaves of their own passions and desires. We who are able to deny ourselves for the sake of the kingdom of God, we are free men and women. And so creation itself, he's saying, will will be uh, uh, it'll be revealed. Uh, it, it will be brought into that freedom, the freedom of the revelation, the revealed glory of the children of God. So that's going on now. You need to live your life, and I need to live my life in a way that when people look at me, they say, what has he got, what has she got that, that I don't have? Why does that person have so much freedom, so much self-control, so much love, so much joy? Uh, and I'm doing all the things the world's telling me to do, and I'm miserable. You know, I'm rich, I'm prosperous, I'm gorgeous, you know, I'm miserable. What's What's that? believer have? Are you living your life that way? Are you manifesting the freedom of the children of God? That's going to happen one day. Um, oh, there's so much more in this passage, but I, I got to stop talking because we got so much more to talk about. But that idea of waiting for adoption, that that literally is huothesias. It, it means to being made children. Your destiny, I, I've shared this and I'll share it again this week because I think it's at the heart of the letter, that our destiny is to be adopted by God. That's that's what God made us for, to make us his sons and daughters, to invite us into that family, which is the Holy Trinity. And uh, we, we're waiting for that adoption, even the redemption of our body. So this this letter is, is this section of this letter is, well, St. Paul's really starting to cook here. Um, 
this idea that creation was subject to futility. You know, you, no one, no matter how how much they try, can ever be perfectly happy in this in this fallen world. You'll get people who really think they are, but the only real happiness is the happiness that comes from faith in God. There are some people who come, do come by that naturally, I'll, I'll admit it, but that's what's going on. They trust God. They may, they may not realize that's what they're doing, but you and I, we live, we live, uh, um, in this, in this world of futility and the very futility of it drives us to say there's got to be something more and there is. There's God. All right. We're going to take a break. Then we'll come back with mass hysteria. You can call in at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We will be right back. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew When I bit off more than I could chew But through it all When there <laughs> Mass hysteria. <laughs> I ate it up and spit it out. Why would you play that for mass hysteria? Because people actually have heard it at funerals. My goodness. You know, the funerals. <sighs> well, funerals are for the living, not for the dead. Not if you're a Catholic, they're not. I want to talk about funerals. Funerals are for the repose of the soul of the dead. You know, you've heard me say it, that there is in history only one Mass. One Mass. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. For God, as you hear me say repeatedly, all moments are now and all places are here. So when you go to Mass this Sunday, no matter what the Mass, if it's a valid Mass, and the Holy Spirit is called down on bread and wine. You are standing at the foot of the cross of Calvary. You are at the wedding supper of the Lamb at the end of time. You are, you are at the sea. You're even at the, at the binding of Isaac, the sacrifice of Abraham. You are brought into the eternal. Mass is a time machine. And so when you go to Mass, you are there with everyone you've ever loved who has died in the Lord and is at the banquet feast of heaven. Mass is for the dead, for the repose of the soul of the dead. It isn't for the consolation of the living. The wake may be for the consolation of the living. But we make Mass into sort of a show about the person uh, who has died, and that is just wrong. It's wrong. 
I, I, you know, I hate to be hard nosed about this, but it's, it's mass is always about the death and resurrection of the Lord. My, my classmate, Father Brank, and some, so when he was first at a, a parish, uh, someone came up to him and said, what's the theme of the mass? And he looked at them and said, the death and resurrection of the Lord. That's what mass is. And that's what a funeral mass is. It is the sacrifice of Calvary offered for the repose of the soul of that person. It isn't a roast, you know, the after communion roast, where somebody gets up and says, Uncle Fred was drunk most of the time, but there was a great party wherever he was, and I know he's partying in heaven. I'm not so sure <laughs> that he isn't discussing some issues, please God, in purgatory or worse. You know, this idea that we canonize everyone, um, I think is very, very detrimental to uh, to the faith. And as we draw near to our novena, which begins November 2nd for the Holy Souls, again, I want to remind you that that when we forget to pray, especially at the Mass, for the repose of the souls, in a sense, the souls in purgatory are starving. You know, that, that we assist them with our prayers. And... When we make the Mass about us, well, I think that we're not doing our job. Or when we make the Mass, the funeral Mass, about the deceased. Um, I, I have literally been at funeral Masses where the eulogies, the five or six eulogies, um, are longer than the Mass itself. And you get some maudlin grandchild up there weeping that they'll never see Pop-Pop again. Uh, this has nothing to do with the sacrifice of Calvary. And, and I think each of us needs to, to reconsider. You know, we don't play the deceased's favorite songs. Uh, um, we don't, we don't, uh, have the after dinner roast after communion is over. No, we're there to pray for the repose of the souls of the dead. And, um, that's it. It isn't a celebration of life except in the sense that it is a celebration of the death and resurrection and the promise of new life in Christ. We're not doing Mass to celebrate the life of someone. Do that at, at the wake. That's, that's appropriate. It's not appropriate at the funeral. At least that's my opinion. Boy. <sighs> All right, let's go to some letters. <laughs> I did it my way. Give me a break. All right, moving along here. Um, if I'm making you feel bad, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. I really am sorry. I mean, I guess I can't be too angry with the people of God because, well, the funeral business and the clergy have kind of um, allowed people to, to forget what, what, what the Requiem Mass is and what it's for. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the funeral industry is really something. All right, but I don't want to go there. At least not today. All right, let us look at um, this uh, this letter here. Did I? Oh, yes. Um, I, I, I looked at that letter about uh, uh, the Byzantine liturgy. Uh, I, I thought that was a beautiful thing uh, um, that, uh, who is it? It's somebody, Karen from Eureka, uh, found the the Byzantine liturgy, very, very beautiful, and it is. Uh, and, well, she she said at the end of her letter, I agree that there's ugliness uh, sometimes in, in the Mass, but I, I hope to look for, to Christ for the beauty. 
And I think that's a good thing. People ask me, well, what do we do? Well, if if you really can't take the liturgical dancers at your church and uh, and all that new music that's only 60 or 70 years old, um, you might want to find another church if it's that crazy. But I don't, I don't encourage you to do that. There's an old contemporary Christian song, which I also don't think you should play at Mass, but it talks about uh, why bring water to the ocean, bring it to the desert, you know, that you may be needed in that parish. And, well, what do I do? Get to know the pastor. You know, well, my pastor, he preaches heresy. Well, maybe not. Maybe you think he preaches heresy. But no matter who he is, get to know him and and get to love him. And, and, you know, you cannot, you have to speak the truth in love. And until you genuinely love people, you don't have the right to, to uh, critique them. Uh, I think that um, you look to Christ for the beauty and, and stop taking water to the ocean. Um, you know, if you have spiritual needs, fine. But remember that you're given as a gift to the bride of Christ, and she may desperately need your input in a parish that has lost its way. And I don't, I don't want you to say that uh, in an arrogant way, but to realize that you need to be a gift, and God might make a gift of you to people who you don't want to be gifted to. If you're in a parish that you find difficult and where there are ideas that seem heterodox, Get to know the pastor. Get to like the pastor. Get him to like you. Because I've found that if if you, you are the vehicle of the message. You know, you've heard the saying, you may be the only Bible that some people read. Well, you may be the only, the only critique of liturgy that some people read. You may be the only uh, uh, source of, uh, you may be the only text of real uh, honest orthodoxy that people read. So, don't just say, well, I'm not going there. I don't like it. Well, then you're just there for entertainment value. Oh, I, I, why am I grinding this X so much? Well, I think it may be an important X to grind. All right, there's an interesting letter I got about the filioque clause, and I'm going to explain it. Uh, Dear Father Simon, you said on your Tuesday show, I think probably it was a week ago Tuesday, that we cannot add to the creed. That is, in fact, what the church did when it added the filioque to the creed. Let me explain the filioque. That is a Latin word that means, and from the sun. Filius is son. Filio is to or for or from the sun. Um, Christians have always believed that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Some people say from the Father through the Son. But it has always been the teaching about the Trinity that what can be said of the Father can be said of the Son, what can be said of the Son can be said of the Holy Spirit, uh, and so on. That they are they are um, eternally and perfectly one. Now, when you say in the Creed that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, and you don't put in the Son, it makes the Son sound less. The the Nicene Creed was written at the Council of Nicaea, uh, around, I want to say around 350 A.D. It wasn't completed, but it was, the bulk of it was, was written by the Council Fathers. And what was the Council of Nicaea about? 
Constantine the Great had made Christianity uh, legal, and he he was uh, he produced the Edict of Milan, which restored the church's property to it, made Christianity legal, but also made all religions legal in the empire. But in fact, Constantine started the process by which Christianity became the religion of the Romans, the religion of the Roman Empire. He had moved his capital to Constantinople, which is just across the water from a town called Nicaea, uh, on the Turkish side of, of, of the Bosporus. He gathered as many of the, the church fathers as he could gather, as many of the, of the bishops and dignitaries he, he, as he could, to say, what is it that, we, that you guys believe? In other words, if Christianity was going to be the state religion, he wanted to know what it believed. And so they worked out the basic belief structure, that we believe in a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then different doctrines, different attributes or, or statements about the three persons of the trinity were added. And the ones that were, were argued about were added, not the incontrovertible ones. That's why the Mass is not mentioned. Nobody doubted that the Mass was established by Christ, and so on. Uh, the, the, they did mention, for instance, one baptism, because there was a group that said if you had backslidden persecution, you had to be rebaptized. They believed in one baptism. So they put in the hot-button issues of the day. And they said that the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father. Now, <clears throat> by nature, the Emperor Constantine and the, the, the rulers of Rome would be Arian. Now, what was Arianism? Arius was a priest uh, from Alexandria who could not figure uh, uh, how three persons could be one. You know, that, that uh, I believe that the Trinity is absolutely reasonable if you believe God is love. Because who's God going to love if he's a solitude? Uh, well, he loves us. Yeah, that means he will be dependent on his creation for his his existence, and that he wouldn't be God. You know, within God, there is perfect diversity and perfect unity, that there might be perfect love. God is love. If you believe that revelation, then the Trinity makes great sense. And our job, as we saw in the readings today, or our destiny, is to be brought into that relationship, which is God. Without losing our personhood, we will be adopted and incorporated into the family, which is God. Constantine was a military man. The word emperor doesn't mean super king. It means generalissimo. He was a caudillo. He was a generalissimo. It was a military government, essentially, that the generals uh, ran Rome. Uh, so... Military men like chains of command. You got the general, and he gives orders, and everybody follows them. And that's what Constantine was hoping they'd come up with. But they didn't. They came up with a God who is love, that a God who is not an army, but a family. He might have an army, but he is a family, and that's our destiny. And Constantine said, well, I guess so. That's our religion. And he was ultimately baptized into it just before he died. Now, that's kind of a very shallow background, and I think it's accurate. I may be wrong, but I think it's accurate about the Council of Nicaea. Why? 
so that we can have, we can, if we're going to be Christians, what does it mean to be a Christian? And this created the idea of, uh, or advanced the idea of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy always already existed. However, you can't add to the early councils. The church divided after, uh, it divided and has not come back together, the East and the West, around 10, around a thousand years after Christ. And, uh, the councils that we have in common with the Eastern Church, uh, at least the Orthodox churches, uh, along with the Western Church, is uh, up to Chalcedon. This Arianism taught that Jesus was somehow not eternally God. He had been adopted into God and deified. He was the first of creations and then adopted by God and deified, but he wasn't co-eternal with the Father. Spain was run by a, a branch of Christianity that that believed this, the Visigoths. And in order to um, stamp out Arianism, they added the words, and from the Son, filioque, to the creed in Spain for that pastoral situation. And it spread to the rest of the Western Church to remind people that know the Father and the Son both are filled and, and, and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. That's why we added it. Eastern Christians to this day do not say the filioque clause. We haven't added it to the, to the creed, despite what uh, uh, this, this uh, anonymous listener said. We didn't add the filioque to the creed. We added it in, a certain, in certain places for, doc, for, pastoral and doctrinal re, for pastoral reasons to help people understand the, the truly Trinitarian nature. That's a very complicated explanation of a, of a very short letter, but, and I hope it's accurate. But I think that when you say that creed on Sunday, I think a lot of people are disappointed because it doesn't mention more. Um, some people are disappointed because they think it says too much. But it's a reminder to us that we do have a set doctrine, and it's a doctrine that cannot be changed no matter what fashion uh, we, we, we embrace or what, what the world tells us is fashionable. The creed is about the undying and unchangeable nature of the content of faith, and that's why we say it at Mass on Sunday. Um, and though it may seem that the, this clause was added, it really wasn't. It was only added in a certain geographical area for certain, uh, the theory is added in a certain geographical area for uh, uh, pastoral reasons. Boy, that's complicated, but I hope it helps a little. Uh, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day, and you can call in at 888-914-9149. Whew. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown when you've got worries. Oh, I don't know about this. This is the voice in my head. Is saying this is a shout out to all the hippies. I I don't know if I'd advise having you go downtown these days, but we're not going to go there either. 
So many third rails. But what we are going to do is we're going to go to the word of the day. You know, the word of the day, uh, creation was made subject to futility. What is that word, futility? Okay, I, I have it here somewhere. It's it's a great word. Oh, good grief. Where did I put it? You know, I do this. Let me see. The suffering of... Mean computers, they're awful. At any rate, the world was subject to futility. And the word is matiotis, I believe, in Greek. And it means it means emptiness, pointlessness, vanity. Uh, something which is, is insubstantial. And, you know, I, I think it's very important for us to realize that though, though the world seems... Um, um, like a solid, stable thing, it really isn't. That that our life is a very brief thing, and why would why would the Lord do this? Why would the Lord make the the creation subject to futility? Well, uh, he made made it subject to futility so that we would long for something better. I <laughs> I had a friend. May he rest in peace. Uh, yeah, the word is is uh, here. I'm looking at the word here found it finally it's it's uh, matiotis and and it means emptiness purposelessness and why would the lord subject uh, the creation to purposelessness i had this friend who was somewhere left of stalin but he said the thing he most believed in the bible was the story of the garden of eden and he said i said why i mean everybody thinks of that as myth myth and and it's i believe it's real but he said because Deep in my heart, I know it wasn't meant to be like this. You know, people in the world today suffer purposelessness. What is our purpose? And if you're a Christian, our purpose is to to live forever in love with God. And we have a purpose, and we grow in it, and our life revolves around it. And it isn't just about being right or wrong about something. It's a, our life is about falling in love with God. That's our purpose. It, it, certainly there's doctrine that's involved, but, but so often we reduce the faith to I'm right and you're wrong. Whereas a real breathing faith in that sense that we've been talking about in St. Paul's letter of the Romans, the pneuma, the, the breath of life, a faith that breathes, a faith that lives is a faith that has as its goal falling more deeply in love with God. And um, it's very sad when we reduce it to sort of a theological argument. But that said, uh, let us... Oh, by the way, uh, don't forget, I mentioned it once already, but uh, we are beginning the Novena to the Holy Souls, or for the Holy Souls, uh, on November the 2nd, All Souls Day. And it, we will be praying uh, for all of our loved ones who are with the Lord. So... Uh, and, and uh, uh, well, we have a lot of open lines, by the way. You can call in at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, and I'll stop talking. The skin is ringing. Do we have anybody at all, dear voice in my head? June from Grant Park, are you with us? I am, Father, thank oh, you. Oh, good, good, good. What can I do for you? I have a question. Mm-hmm. Why do they call him Saint Michael the Archangel? Well, because what? the word the word saint just means holy. It's it's the Latin word sanctus, which just means holy, and we get the word saint. It's you know I, I used to tell my students about the time and alcohol uh, principle of language development. El- time does in the long run 
for language what alcohol does in the short run. It slurs it. So sanctus becomes sanct becomes saint. And so Holy Michael, that's all it is. That's why so you hear, uh, sometimes you see places like St. Mary. She's, what do you mean she's a saint? She's, she's the Blessed Mother. She's holy. That's all it means, holy. Does that help? Well, it does, but why don't we call the other archangels saints? Oh, we do. We call St. Raphael and St. Gabriel. You, you'll see them referred to as, oh. as, as saints. Oh, sure. And those are the only okay. three that we claim, whose names we claim to know in the Western Church. But because those are the only three names mentioned in the canon of scripture that we regard as inspired. So, yeah, we do. Well, you you hear St. Gabriel. I, there's St. Gabriel's parish. There's St. Raphael's parish. Uh, oh, yeah. So we do refer to them. So there. How's that? Does that help? Oh, yes. Thank you very much. Good. And thanks for listening. God bless. Who do we have now? Rose from Chicago. Are you with us? What can I do for you? Yes. Hello, Father. Thank you very much for your vocation and your witness. And I just have a question. Um, every year um, that I know of, um, All Saints Day was a holy day of obligation. But it mm-hmm. seems this year it's being overlooked for some reason. I was wondering if there is a special reason. Well, we're not overlooking in Chicago or in, in relevant radio, certainly. But no, I, I no. would imagine that the, the COVID situation has a lot to do with it. That um, in certain dioceses, the the obligation is um, is suspended because of COVID. Many dioceses have gone back to reminding people about their obligation for Sundays and holy days. But in certain places, it's still it's still uh, it's still uh, not uh, imposed. The obligation is not imposed, and I suspect that's yeah. what it has what it's about. Oh. Because we did have it last year, you know, and we oh, did still oh, have yeah. COVID. Well, so I'm sure was, we'll have it. Because it's not even mentioned on the, ca- on the liturgical calendar. Really? Huh. Uh-huh. That's very, very strange uh, that it's it not is. mentioned. It is. It is. Even because uh, yeah. I do the Liturgy of the Hours, yeah, oh, and yeah. I get, you know, I get the guide, and huh. they usually have, like, for different days, and they don't even have it on the guide as a that's, holy day. It just says solemn. It does say solemn. It says a solemnity. Uh, well, yes. in a lot of places, if a solemnity is the day before Sunday or the day after Sunday, it, it the the obligation is um, is uh, suspended. I don't know why they did that, but they decided it was just too hard. It's, it's that they don't require people to go to mass two days in a row. That's oh. why they did it. I remember Fran- Cardinal Francis George wondered if they'd made the wisest decision on that, but. We can still go. It's still a solemnity, a universal feast of the church, but the obligation is abrogated uh, not only because of COVID, because of its uh, proximity to Sunday. That's what we do in the United States. Hope that helps. Okay, Father. Thank you very much. God bless you. God bless, Rose. Thank you. Who have we got now? Ruth from California. Are you with us, Ruth? My question is, what does it mean to be spiritual but not religious? It means that a person doesn't want anyone requiring anything of them. You know, I said, I, I, I've often said uh, that the devil is spiritual. The devil is a pure spirit. He's not religious. To be religious, the word religion comes from a Greek or a rather a Latin word meaning to, to tie back or to bind. In other words, there are certain customs that, that our faith 
requires of us as Sunday Mass, that sort of thing. And that's religion, something that, that, that holds us, that binds us to a certain practice. And there are a lot of people who say, well, I'm spiritual. I'm ju- I just don't want to be religious. Well, St. James tells us that I can see what you really believe by what you do. Uh, we read that in the letter to St. James. Uh, um, and and uh, when people say, well, I'm spiritual, in other words, I'm interested in spiritual things, if they conform to my my um, my own tastes and desires, but I'm not religious, I always point out to them, well, the devil is spiritual. He's 100% spirit, and he despises things physical. But things physical, I, being a person with a body, I live in the physical world as well as the spiritual world. So I have to be both religious and spiritual. Does that help explain it, Ruth? Yes. Thank you very much for your help. Have a blessed day. Well, you too. God bless. Thanks so much. Who we got now, dear voice in my head? Stephen from Nina, Wisconsin. Are you with us, Stephen? What can I do for you? Yes, good afternoon, Father. So when they redid the Mass a few years ago, and I should maybe redid is not the right word, but they <laughs> used to say, peace be with you, the, the priest would say, and we'd say, and also with you. And then they got rid of the you, and they said, to, now the priest gets spirit. Why does yes. one have spirit and one just has the old you? Well, one is uh, the, 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 the translation that we're using now is closer to the Latin. And, uh, you know, I think that it's a very ancient custom. Now, why, why in the first centuries of the church they talked about with your spirit? I, I think that the idea was that, that, um, uh, you wish me peace. I wish you peace in the deepest part of you. You know, it's like it's kind of like saying, "I'll see your bid and, and up, and 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 uh, and I'll ante uh, five more." <laughs> so, it's I'm doing you one better. You wish me peace. I'm wishing you peace in your profoundest being. It's just a a custom that comes to us from ancient times, and we redid it because that was what it said in Latin, and we wanted the mass in English to be as close to the universal mass of the Western Church. Does that sound? Does that help? It's the best answer I've gotten. I've asked some <laughs> other people the question, and I didn't get an answer at all. Oh, good. Well, Thanks. at least you got an answer. And remember my motto, what I don't know, I can always make up. But I think that one's kind of on the spot. That probably is true. Phew. Hurry. Uh, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Who have we got now, dear voice? Thanks for calling in, and, and thanks for listening. Who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Karina from New Hampshire. We've just got a minute. What can I do for you? What's your question for me? Hi, Father Simon. Thank you for your show. Um, I know it's really hard to answer a lot of these tough questions, but you do it with tact and grace and sensitivity, and it's been a huge blessing to me. And I just wanted to call and thank you publicly for your wonderful recommendation. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, To take RCIA classes, and because I'm interested in becoming Catholic, and that's what we're doing. And I thought you'd like to know about it. Well, thank you, and and I hope you're keeping me in your prayers. I'm keeping you in mine, and and that's wonderful because, you know, it it really is a beautiful thing. That bit about purposelessness that St. Paul talks about, it really is beautiful to understand our purpose, the purpose for which we were made, to know, love, and serve God in this world, to be happy with Him forever, and and also to listen to Drew Mariani who's coming. No, I'm kidding. Well, not really. It's, it's, Drew's all about purpose. <laughs> 